0: Welcome once again to LifeWords Q&A. It is uh, our time where we set aside each week just to talk about life and faith and some of the, or sometimes they're hot potato questions, other times they're just questions. David Ray, welcome yet again. Thanks, Andrew. I'm looking forward to uh, to picking your brain again and, and, and asking you questions that uh, some of our listeners have submitted. Our first question today, though, David, is the church seems to own so much property. Wouldn't it be better to be like the early church and just meet in homes?
1: Well, the first thing I want to say there is just a little bit careful about as it were, putting the early church up on a pedestal, uh, idealizing it. Uh, we can't quite emulate their culture. They were meeting in a very different set of circumstances and they had their own set of problems too. You see, you might say, well, the early church met in homes. Well, of course they did. They weren't able to meet in synagogues or the temple. Um, there were no church buildings. Uh, the Romans wouldn't have leased out their property to them. Uh, so they had to meet in homes. But as the church grew, uh, that wasn't always possible, so inevitably buildings were built um, because as a church grows, uh, you can't continue to meet in a particular home. So there's practical things involved. I know some churches, networks of home churches, which do meet in homes, and I'll go on to say that there's no no problem with that, no, no actual issue with that, but they also have to find a place to meet uh, where they want a bigger gathering. If you want a bigger gathering, and there's nothing wrong with those, uh, then you have to have a particular building, whether it's your own set building or rent- renting another building or otherwise. So we can't sort of say that meeting in homes, or as a church meeting in homes, is the way to go. Um, it, it certainly did happen in the early church out of necessity, and it certainly can happen today. Um, because um, I believe the, 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 even Christians who meet in the big church buildings or schools or whatever, they also meet in homes. So there's nothing wrong with meeting in homes. It's just that we don't say that's the only way you should meet simply because the early Christians did. As I say, the early Christians met in homes because they had to. Uh, so, 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 yep, you can meet in homes and you can have what we call house churches. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the practicalities usually require that you will occasionally have to meet in larger contexts uh, because you might want to have larger gatherings, youth gatherings, big music gatherings and so on and so on. Nothing wrong with meeting in homes. Then again, nothing wrong with having particular buildings either. But when it comes to church buildings, there are some problems because um, some of our church buildings nowadays are not very functional. They're not very practical for what we want to do. Um, but then again, uh, with many of those buildings, uh, certainly there's some in Australia, there's many, many more in places like England, uh, they're subject to all sorts of heritage restrictions and so you can't just demolish them and perhaps nor should we want to demolish them. Um, but the church buildings themselves um, might cause some problems. Um, church authorities must always be trying to ensure that buildings are well used because I think any church authority uh, looks at all the buildings around and says, boy, they, we, 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 we could uh, earn millions from selling some of this property. Um, the question is, though, um, what are we going to do with those millions? Uh, you might say, well, give it all to the poor, but you're still going to have to have places where um, people in churches should meet. So what, what I'm saying is church buildings, I think, become, as it were, some sort of church building, not necessarily the um, stone building with a steeple on the corner, but some sort of designated church building is very, very important. But we need to make sure that they're functional and that they're well used um, by the community as well as by the church. And we must be very careful uh, that churches, if, if if they are going to sell off property, uh, don't put themselves into a uh, difficult situation because you can sell off property because you think the church is not thriving in this area anymore, but blow me down through demographic changes in 20 years, the church can thrive in that community.
0: Yeah, it's a little short-sighted to uh, just sell a property just because that demographic that you're after is not there at the time. It, it is a shifting kind of thing, isn't
1: it? That's right. And we can't, I mean, yes, it's, it's very appealing to say, well, let's sell off some of these un- underutilised church buildings and give money to the poor and so on. But but uh, sadly, it's not always possible to sell off that property um, through heritage considerations and so on. And uh, the church, church people still need to have somewhere to meet, and property is extremely expensive. So it's a vexed question. Oh, look, I, I think Christians should meet in um, homes, uh, in smaller groups and so on, to provide that intimacy, that homeliness. But also, we perhaps do need special buildings to accommodate the church as well uh, for our other functions. And uh, But yes, like like the question, I, I would look at the property and think, do we need quite so much property? <laughs> uh, and uh, I think that's an issue that uh, we do need to um, examine.
0: You're listening to LifeWords Q and A in the raw, and uh, David's answering your questions. Yeah, the church and property—it is a vexed question, uh, probably these these times uh, in in the wider community, um, and often asked. All that, all the money tied up in those buildings, but yeah, it was yes. We, we heard the explanation, so uh, you can follow up those questions with LifeWords at hopemedia.com.au. David be happy to answer your questions. Our second question today. What matters most David, faith or works? That's one of those questions,
1: isn't it, where you think, well, hmm, uh, you have to avoid a simple answer there. See, that wonderful verse in Ephesians, by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's not through work so that no one can boast. So there you go, I think you've got the answer there, Um, that that, that, as it were, our our faith in God's grace is that which saves us rather than uh, our good works. And yet, that same Ephesians passage then, the very next verse, goes on to say, "'For we are God's workmanship, created by God to do good works.'" so there we are um, yep. and, and, and Jesus of course also says verbal confession of faith is not enough those who say to me Lord Lord will not enter the kingdom of heaven but those who do the will of my father and believe it or not the Bible does teach we are assessed by God according to our works that's a repeated theme in the New Testament we are assessed by God according to our works our works matter the evil doers do not inherit the kingdom of heaven so all that adds up to the fact that works matter we can't just simply take refuge in the fact we're saved by By faith, not by good works, therefore good works don't matter. Oh yes, we are saved by faith and not by our good works, but it doesn't mean that our works don't matter. I think, however, we've got to just sort of put the cart before the horse. I think we put faith as primary, but then they've got to works have got to be there as well. Works matter in as much as they're expressions of our faith. Of James says faith without works is dead. And what I think he's saying there is if you reckon you've got faith and you're not trying to live it out, well your faith is counterfeit, so you're not saved anyway. Um, so so yes, on the one hand, we can't get right with God by trying very hard, by doing good works. Doing all the good you can is not going to get you right with God. You have to have faith in what Jesus has done for you. But having had that faith, putting your faith in Jesus and receiving his Holy Spirit. Um, then um, the Bible says, well, okay, you've changed of life now, not that yeah. you're perfect, uh, but that you you are expected then to follow in the ways of Jesus. Not that your good works save you, but your good works are the evidence of the faith which does save you. You are saved by faith. But what how do I determine whether my faith is genuine by the works that I do? by the change in my life. So our good deeds don't get us right with God, but they're a natural outcome of our faith which does get us right with God. Or to put it another way, um, it might seem a paradox, but it's true. We don't get to heaven by doing good works, but we're sure not going to get to heaven without doing them either.
0: So I guess a good way, David, uh, in that respect, is like maybe how you would treat your children, perhaps, or love your children. God's love is not determined by... What you do, it's determined by the fact that he saved you with uh, only through him, and he loves you unconditionally. But but and that's not not determined by work. So as you said, you you got to separate those two things, don't you? Yes,
1: yes, you do. You I mean it, that family metaphor is interesting because um, my children are my children, no matter what. But if my children defy me, misbehave, mistreat me, and don't act as my children, well. Yes, they're still technically my kids, but boy, I'm not really enjoying any, yeah. any effective
0: relationship with them. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, Andrew Morris. Our final question today is, Christians sometimes say something is biblical. Oh, that's unbiblical. What do they mean, David?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good one. Um, I've heard this from time to time, and uh, I've been affirmed as being biblical and criticised as being unbiblical. Look, sadly, I think that sort of phrase can be used as a sort of pious criticism and judgment. We express our disapproval of someone who disagrees with us in those spiritual-sounding terms. See, too often we're accusing someone of being unbiblical when it would be more humble and right and accurate to say that that person concerned has a different view of the Bible to me. Let's say you and I are discussing a particular application of the Bible and you say, oh, no, 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 I think the Bible says this. And I might say, oh, I think the Bible says that. Well, realistically, you and I are just simply two Christians who have a different understanding of the Bible and maybe we can learn from one another and change our views or whatever. But as soon as I say to you or you say to me, ah, you're unbiblical, then that that actually raises a temperature somewhat. And I think we've got to be careful about those terms. It's one thing to say, I have a different understanding of the Bible to you. Um, That's fair enough. But then if I then say to you, you're unbiblical, then that is... Takes the form of an accusation, and that's why I think I think that sort of phrase is a very very sensitive one to use, Uh, because if someone says to me, David, I disagree with your understanding of Scripture, well, that's fair enough. Uh, But if they say to me, David, you're unbiblical, then that's making some sort of severe judgment, a total judgment on me that perhaps is not warranted. You see, some people think that something's biblical only if it can be backed up by a specific verse of Scripture. And and that's not actually so. Uh, I, I mean, some people say, well, well, where do you get that from the Bible? Well, uh, I think you've got to be careful about using the Bible like that as some sort of um, uh, source of uh, proof texting, what you perhaps uh, prefer. See, I prefer to think of something is biblical if it seems consistent with what the Bible says. The Bible's silent about a lot of things. Um, Or to put it another way, something can be biblical if it's not specifically condemned in Scripture or if it's not inconsistent with the general Christian witness of Scripture. So, for example, I mean, just silly examples having a family picnic It's quite biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to have family picnics. It doesn't mention family picnics. Um, But it's consistent with the Bible. We'd say, yes, the Bible wants us to love our families and to uh, enjoy creation. So, yeah, family picnic is biblical. Um, But the Bible doesn't actually speak of such things. Um, Joining a political party and saying, I want to get involved in this party politics so I can actually make a difference – well the Bible doesn't envisage that because there wasn't such thing in biblical times and yet we might argue that's biblical in that the Bible says you've got to be a good citizen you've got to respect your authority you've got to be you you you've got to seek to extend the kingdom of God in this world and if you want to do that through involvement in the party political system well I can't say it's unbiblical. Um, So so we've got to be careful about using the phrase. It can be used as a bit of an insulting judgmental term of saying, uh, instead of just simply saying, honestly, I don't agree with you, to say, you are unbiblical. And that accusation may come about by someone saying or someone assuming you haven't quoted the Bible verse there, therefore you're unbiblical, or you disagree with my understanding of the Bible, therefore you're unbiblical, and I think that's very dangerous.
0: And then I'll say on social media, you shouldn't judge me, and then that person will say, well, I have a right to judge you, David. It says in the Bible that we are to judge Yes, it also says in the Bible, of course, we aren't a judge. Uh, so I
1: think we've got uh, this particular, uh, that person would have particular issues. Yes, we are to be discerning. Um, but remember, discernment is not the same as judgment. Um, judgment in the Bible, which is condemned, is making that final decisive verdict. That saying, you are unbiblical. But it's perfectly right to discern, to rebuke, to admonish, to criticize, to say, David, I I really think you've got the scriptures wrong there, and I really would love you to have a fresh look at that. Well. That's fine. That, that's that's fine. That That's quite honest. I've said that to people myself. Um, but to actually simply say, to use that blanket terms, that is unbiblical, it's first of all pretty judgmental, number one. Number two, I think it misunderstands just what being biblical
0: is. So if someone is um, maybe suggesting a different alternative opinion or maybe saying, I, I don't necessarily agree with that opinion, David, that doesn't mean they're judging me. They're just...
1: No, they're just simply expressing. I mean, there, there, there's some things that are unbiblical. Yeah. Um, um, committing adultery is unbiblical. Um, uh, being physically abusive to someone is unbiblical. Of course, there are some yeah. things that but, are unbiblical. But
0: in, in, in an area that we would agree that is, you know, that we agree on, but it's a slight, it's an interpretation.
1: Yes, that that's right. It's it, it's very it's bullying Christian behaviour, and sadly, there's a lot a lot of this in some Christian circles. It's bullying Christian behaviour to start throwing phrases around like that's unbiblical to people. When rather you should be saying, I don't think I agree with your interpretation of that, or I strongly disagree with your interpretation of that. But uh, then again, uh, to simply accuse everyone else of being unbiblical is really saying, I am the biblical person and everyone who disagrees with me is unbiblical. And that's Christian bullying and arrogance.
0: You've been listening to LifeWords Q&A. Thank you so much for your company. We'll see you soon. In the meantime, enjoy our previous episodes of LifeWords Q&A and we'll join you with another three questions shortly.